Hi, this is Jeff Teat, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Courier, Kylie O'Miller showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley, and he scores. What a goal from Josh Bird. Kayla Trainer fires to score. You're kidding me. By Dylan Ward. Gets topside, Rambo scores. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk on the Lacrosse Playground Podcast Network. Your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Adam Moore and Hutton Jackson. What's up, Pro Lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of Pro Lacrosse Talk. I'm your host, Hutton Jackson, here with my co-host, Adam Moore, and today we're joined by LPG contributor Ty Cunnington. Ty, thanks for joining us today. How's it going today? Yeah, I'm doing good. Um, had a really nice weekend. Um, you know, a little rain on Saturday, but enjoyed the fourth with some awesome lacrosse on, uh, on Sunday and, you know, was, uh, was able to head to the game Friday. Um, and yeah, no, doing good. Happy to be here. And you're actually on site on Long Island. So what was the atmosphere like? Yeah. I mean, so the last game I ever went to was actually the championship from 2019. And like, that was obviously super fun. Um, but kind of, you know, as everything's progressed, just kind of being there back again. And, you know, it's not far from where I live and um, yeah, no, it was great. It's a, it's a really good venue. You know, it differs from, you know, say being at like Gillette, you know, in week one or some of these other like professional stadiums Uh, it was very much like right on top of the field. You know, I had seats right, right at the 50. It was like, I was just really cool to just be so close to guys. And obviously there was a ton of, you know, support for the Long Island guys like Connor Farrell. I think his entire family tree was behind me in the stands and uh, plenty of guttering Garden City jerseys and and some other Long Island guys there. So uh, it was just cool seeing like family members, you know, wearing jerseys. I'm like, yo, I think that's uh, Amen's, you know, like family or, mm-hmm. you know, just stuff like that. So it, it was cool in that regard. And obviously just watching the games like and I'm going to mention it plenty of times and be that guy because I was there. But like <laughs> just seeing these guys in person and just some of the stuff that they do, I was I was just blown away. So it, it was a great experience. Got to meet a ton of players. So I'll sprinkle that in. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I know I'm I'm jealous because Adam went to Baltimore. You went to Long Island. And I will be there in Philly, but uh, just waiting a little bit, a little bit longer for that. But uh, let's get to the standings because all games, all teams have now played five games. So we can really do a pretty good comparison of where these teams stack. And man, the parody in this league is unreal right now. The Whipsnakes moved to four and one. So they're sitting at top of the standings. No shocker there. Archers dropped two games this weekend. So they're now at three and two. Uh, Redwoods follow them at three and two with the Atlas at three and two. So those are really your top four teams in this tops of the standings with uh, winning records. Then you have the Chrome at two and three, Chaos at two and three, War Dogs at two and three, and the Cannons right now looking on the outside, uh, one and four. So they're they're sitting at the bottom. But I know you you pointed out something, Adam, that uh, this still is really anybody's uh, anybody's league. Um, there's a lot of opportunities for these teams to really jump around the standings. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned the Cannons at the bottom of the barrel right now, but they of the uh, bottom four teams, they have the best goal differential. They're at minus one right now. So if they had won this week, they'd be in fifth place. At, uh, but now they're they're at the bottom. So I mean, it's crazy to think we only have three weeks of regular season play left to go, um, and there's a lot of movement that can still happen. You know, you know, you mentioned those uh, top four teams with winning records. 
Three of them are one win, one loss away from a 500 record and two losses away from um, being under 500. So uh, these last three weeks, this is exactly what the league wants, right? The parity in the league you mentioned. Um, and these last three regular season weeks are going to be huge to determine who makes the playoffs and the seeding right now. No, absolutely. And we started off the weekend with a dominant defensive performance by both teams, both the Archers and the Chrome. Obviously, the Archers have played tremendously well on defense all season. Um, but the Chrome held this high-powered offense to just seven goals. So they get the victory 8-7. Uh, late Colin Heacock goal wins it for them. Colin Heacock on Peacock has been must-see TV. So let's hear from him after the game. Uh, I think just the whole game, you see Jackson Morrill, um, Justin Gutterding, Palasek, the whole entire game, they're just playing great offense, giving us opportunities. Um, and like I said earlier today, all the credit goes to the defensive guys. You know, they gave us so many opportunities. They were just staying on their head the entire game, and, uh, you know, we couldn't do it without them. Second week in a row taking down the top team in the league. What is clicking with this team? Uh, I think Coach said it perfect before the game started. Um, you know, we don't really look to see the next game so much. We're just kind of focusing on ourselves. Uh, we have so many great guys on this team. Um, so really the mo most important thing that we think is, uh, you know, just trying to find, you know, our, our, our motto, um, just trying to work together. Uh, complete, you know, a full game, and, and at the end of the day, just kind of focus on ourselves. Fong Heacock, Coach Tim Sedan, also spoke, giving credit to his defense. So let's hear from him after the game. I think it, it just took a little while with the new guys in to, to you know, be clicking 100% on offense, and I think we did that at times tonight. Uh, defensively, the same thing. We've had guys in and out of the lineup, and um, instead of bringing somebody new in, we just took and repurposed uh, James Barclay um, from a shorty uh, to a close, and he's played outstanding the last two games. So um, that helped us with our cohesiveness down there on D. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think we just had to believe in ourselves, you know. And I said it last week. I think you know, losing guy after guy after guy, you know, starting from training camp on. It was, you know, I think we had to get over that a little bit. But um, the leadership in our room, um, the coaching staff, um, both offensively and defensively, did, did a great job. And the collaboration we have with the, uh, with the players is incredible. So there's, there's conversations going all week long, back and forth. So, um, you know, I think we were really prepared. So Coach Sedan, obviously very happy with his defense. He specifically mentioned uh, Barclay. James Barclay is playing really well after moving him down to close defense. Um, he's played most of his PLL career as a short stick defensive mini despite playing close in college at Providence. Um, so he's played really, really well. The short stick defensive minis on the Chrome and Tarafanko and Haas have also played really, really well. What do you guys see? I'll start with you, Ty, from this defense that leads you to believe that they could make a run at this. Yeah, uh, if there was one thing that's been standing out, is it's been the Chrome defense and it's been, you know, John Galloway as well. I mean, uh, going into this week, I think he still is. Now he's tied with Blaze Reardon. But, you know, at one point he last weekend, uh, he was 61%, you know, best in the league uh, with, you know, same amount of reps as everybody else. But as far as defense, like you were saying, uh, Tarafenko and Hawes. I mean, just watching Tarafenko play is like, you know, I didn't get to see a lot of Ohio state games to begin with because of the, you know, the big 10 plus. Um, so just watching him play and then in person, I was just like, not only is he so fast, but I, it was just like, it was just amazing. Just watching him getting the ground balls, moving through clears and obviously just playing defense itself. I mean, we know about Will Hawes, you know, we know the high praise mm -hmm. for the Hawes brothers already. 
but just, but I think that was like one of the most underrated, you know, draft picks just overall was that they were able to snag a guy like that, especially after losing some of their two way, uh, you know, guys with expansion too. you're adding the best, you know, that there is. And I think without a doubt, you know, him, Danny Logan, Goodrich are going to be kind of like the top guys and running for, you know, the short, short, short stick of the year. Um, and, uh, he was great. The the defense overall was just amazing. Um, you know, like you said, that was the, I, that might be the lowest scoring game I think ever. I'm not sure you can fact check me there, but, um, in PLL at least, but I was just blown away at how they were covering not only amen, um, but Tom Schreiber, like just between that offense itself, uh, they were, they were definitely game planned and they did a amazing job just sliding, covering the ground and, and forcing good shots for Galloway. You know, it was a great game too. That went down to the wire and you had uh, Colin Heacock with the game winner late. What did you see from Colin Heacock, Adam, that, you know, really impressed you? Obviously we've seen him in, with the Bayhawks the past couple of years um, in the MLL. And so we were no strangers to his play, but he's really stepped it up in the absence of a lot of injuries. Heacock had a phenomenal game. As you mentioned, we, we loved watching him with the uh, Bayhawks. And, you know, I 100% thought his game would transition to, to the PLL style. He's really taken over that offense, being a quarterback on, on their side, and uh, really makes the difference for, for this Chrome squad uh, the last few games. So really excited to see what he can do with this offense as he gets a little more reps um, with this Chrome squad. Yeah, no, we, you know, sang high praise for Jackson Morrill in the, the past week's um, and he finished with a goal and two assists. He's been pr- playing really, really well in the absence of Jordan Wolf as well. And Tommy Palasak, a Long Island guy, getting two goals on the day um, in that game as well. So nice to see that offense really clicking, um, you know, and Gutterding also had a goal. So, you know, he, he's been playing kind of flying a little under the radar, but he still has his presence. I think he, you know, kind of gets draws that top coverage a lot of times. But uh, overall, this offense is seeming to find its groove um, despite, you know, not having Randy Stotts. Um, at the beginning of the season and not having Jordan Wolf after that first game. So they're looking like they could still hang with the best of them, uh, given this offense that we didn't expect going into the season. But yeah, another big win for them. And that, you know, gave the Archers their first loss. They played pretty well. Um, again, I, I think face-offs is still going to be kind of a pain point for them. Connor Farrell had a big day. Um, he, he ended up going 58%. So not, you know, not super dominant, but still enough to give Chrome uh, the much needed victory in this one. Um, moving on to the next game, you know, that was a real defensive battle uh, that we started off the weekend. We had a high scoring affair uh, between the water dogs and the Redwoods. It was 19 to 16 was the final score. Um, and it was our first look at the Redwoods two, two, two set. Um, it led to their highest goal total in history. Um, the last time they scored 18 was against the Chrome. And that was when the end of the regular season in 2019, where they needed to erase that negative goal differential to sneak into the playoffs. But Adam, what did you see from this Redwoods team? Um, that showed that they could actually, you know, also live up to their expectations despite, you know, dropping a few bad games in past weeks. You know, after uh, the first quarter, you kind of got nervous for, as a Redwoods fan out there, you know, they were down 7-3 uh, after the first quarter and, um, you know, you, you weren't sure what was happening and, you know, what they do, they turn it right around and score seven of their own uh, in that second quarter. And, you know, they, they played really well. We had uh, a Kyle Harrison signature goal, which was fantastic. We had Jack Kelly finally getting in cage after so many years uh, coming off an injury, which, you know, uh, as the Jack, the, uh, the Jack Stelly, the Jack Kelly stand of the pod. Uh, I was really excited to see him in cage and get the W uh, for his first PLL victory. So um, they just had a lot going for them. They were able to bounce back after that first quarter and really put on a good show. 
Yeah, no, I think my thing with the Redwoods too is they've kind of struggled to adapt to the teams they've played and kind of played down to their level. This was a good game for them because the Water Dogs kind of started off shutting off Rob Pinnell for most of the you know first half. Um, they slid late, so they were dod- daring the Redwoods to dodge against them. Um, and the Redwoods, you know, delivered on that. Um, then in the second half, they started to slide a little bit earlier, and RP3 picked them apart. So I think they did a good job adapting. Uh, to the Water Dogs. Water Dogs did not have a really good defensive showing. Uh, Dylan Ward ended up getting pulled in this game for Cipriano late in the third quarter. Um, but yeah, overall, I you know I, I didn't think it was uh, that great of a showing by the Water Dogs. I thought the Redwoods played well enough to win. I think they still need to find a way to finish teams in the end. This game was 17 to 16 in the final minute, and they had two garbage goals to to cover that spread and also give them the 19 to 16 victory. But, uh, you know, still still need to, to work out a few things, you know, giving up 16, especially when you have a, a Redwoods defense like this is not um, good, but happy to see Jack Kelly step in. Um, I think we'll probably see Troutner get his start, uh, you know, the following weekend because he played decent enough, but it was nice to see Jack Kelly come in in relief. What do you see from this game, Ty, that really stood out to you? Yeah, I think, you know, like obviously, you know, a ton of goal, a ton of goals were scored. And I, I think the Redwoods answering there, kind of like you were saying, Adam, with their, with that, their own run, was kind of a big deal because I I feel like at times with uh, to start the to start the season um you know they had those kind of two first wins and we were like whoa okay this you know this is kind of what we were expecting everything's kind of clicking and they've got such a great defense that the offense is there you know the TD is you know looking like the best in the world they kind of had everything going for them and then you know they kind of get these confusing losses and uh getting tripped up with with some of those I think that was a big deal because and a point I was going to make earlier too, is now that we've had teams play kind of five games, we're at the halfway point. Um, you kind of see every team really figure out like their like identity, like in a way, Chrome is going to be pretty defensive and relying on Galloway having a great year. And the offense is going to be very taking their time and, and methodical. And they don't have, you know, that guy anymore with, you know, Wolf being out and they're figuring that, that out. So a team like the Redwoods is kind of like, okay, we've got defense, you know, maybe not in this game, but we've got the defense mm-hmm. and um, you know, obviously Trotter is great and we've got face-offs. It's like, can the offense not, you know, fall asleep like it would at times, you know, like in the bubble, it was like, they're relying on three, three pointers going or two pointers, excuse me, to go in. And that's how they'll stay in. You know, now you've got guys stepping up. You've got, you know, Pinnell is definitely seems like how we were thinking he would look last year, you know, Miles Jones, you know, dramatically improving, you know, from, you know, from, from the bubble and even some of nine, 2019 and, you know, uh, Perkovic and, you know, Jules now running. So you get the point. I think that was a big deal for the Redwoods to be able to kind of mount that comeback, take the lead and sort of uh, kind of command, you know, a, a good win when it was such a shootout. So I think, I think just overall, you know, the water dogs also kind of showed that they have so many tricks, you know, in their bag, you know, they've got, you know, guys like Connor Kelly who could be prone to just, go off at any point, like times, like, you know, weeks past, we saw Mikey Schlosser, you know, put up like a hat trick with ease and looking like, you know, the fastest midi on the field. And, you know, Zach Currier kind of panning out as well, just with that can do everything, his insane stat line. So I think it was like a good game for both teams, but I think the Redwoods proved like a little more um, just in that they were able to, you know, kind of go ahead and, and take the win. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, you know, and we mentioned the Redwoods didn't have a, a great showing in this game on defense, but a lot of it was because they've been in the penalty box so much. And I think that's one thing that Nat Saint Laurent said they need to really emphasize is limiting those penalties because 
that's kind of been killing them. You know, they're one of the best units playing six on six, but when you're in the box and you're given, you know, the water dog seven power play opportunities, you're bound to let in a lot of goals. So I think that's one thing they're work on. There were some bright spots too, from the water dogs. Zach Courier again, continues to perform all over the field, three goals, four assists, one cause turnover, seven ground balls, just absurd stat line. And you mentioned Connor Kelly. He put up eight points and showed he could score from anywhere too. He had a ridiculous goal from the logo, um, you know, right at the end of the first quarter. And then he's also scoring, you know, around the crease as well. So, you know, there definitely are some bright spots. I think the water dogs biggest issue right now is they have five starting caliber poles um, and they don't really know who to roll out there right now. You have Liam Burns who can, run, you know, at LSM or at pole close if they need to. They have Eli Gobrecht, good shutdown defender. Ben Randall's a good shutdown defender. BJ Grill, Chris Sabia have also played really, really well um, for them, you know, in years past and in bright spots this year too. But right now they're still like rolling out a different unit each week. And I think that's hurting them because they're not having enough chemistry. And that's where you see the issues where there's late slides or, you know, people are sliding early and there's no second slide there. So I think that's where a lot of their issues are coming to light. And you're seeing these high scoring affairs and they've shown that they can put up the points on offense, but when they're not, you know, putting up those points on offense and the defense isn't playing well, and you're not getting Dylan Ward S games out of Dylan Ward, um, you know, these, these issues are going to magnify. So um, definitely looking to see the water dogs bounce back, but they got to figure it out pretty, pretty quickly. If, if they're to turn around and, you know, Redwood's got a big win because, they play the Whip Snakes next week. Then they play the Archers. They play the Whip Snakes again. And then they play a Chaos team who they lost to earlier this season. So big win for them because their next four games is not an easy stretch. So they needed to get a victory and they did get one this, this week. So big for them. But we mentioned the Chaos a little bit there. They're a team that also was really hungry for some victories. And now they've won their second straight, defeating the Cans 14-10. Um, but the biggest storyline from this game was actually Paul Rabel breaking John Grant Jr.'s pro field career record for points with 644. Um, so let's hear from Paul Rabel after the game. I think um, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of luck. It takes um, you know, a lot of injury prevention, great coaches, great teammates, a ton of support, um, and, uh, yeah, just resilience. I think that um, you look back at my career, you know, I've, uh, I've been on some great teams, and I've also, um, I've also got to learn the game and through different schemes and playing indoor and outdoor and internationally. So um, I've never passed up on a practice. I've never passed up on a shooting session. And those types of things um, get you there. But I, I never would have set out, never did I set out to accomplish a, a point scoring record. Um, and if I look back at my career to all the young kids is I never, uh, I never even set out to play professional lacrosse or with Team USA or even, even college at the highest level. It was always that moment. So trying to be the best that I could when I was in high school and then the next step my freshman year in college and – you know, just having that short-sightedness. Um, and over time, see where the chips fall. Records are meant to be broken. I'm, I'm sure this one will at some point. Um, it's uh, It's been a long road to get here. It's been a really long road. Um, you know, I remember my first game in New Jersey as a Boston Cannon, and I scored one goal. I was in the third quarter, and it was pretty pedestrian. And then my first game at home with the Boston Cannons I scored four and a half and that was a moment where I was like okay I think this style of play fits my um, you know 
my style. And um, yeah, it's just about being relentless. And I think that there are a lot of athletes in any sport that have that desire to be great, but uh, to accomplish it, 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 it takes a, a lot of relentless work and it takes a lot of perseverance through pain um, and, um, you know, and, and going through the ups and downs is a lot of time. is isn't fun. Uh, it's really gritty and, uh, you just have to, you just have to keep plugging away. So things like these are, are, are a sign that you're, you're older and maybe in the twilight of your career. But, um, I feel, I still feel like I have a bit of a pep in my step. Nice to see him back on top. Obviously John Grant Jr. You know, has his place in field lacrosse and, um, you know, I think it, it was a great thing for Rabel though, to get that record back and just amazing for him, what he's been able to accomplish as a midfielder. He's never played any other position in his career. So to lead in career points as a midfielder is unheard of. Um, I know there's a little bit of outrage about the PLL calling it the pro lacrosse record. This kind of gets me a little annoyed because obviously we know they're talking about field. Um, would you like them to specify pro field lacrosse? Yeah, we, we would. We kind of try to specify it when we can too. But like at the end of the day, the reason they're saying pro lacrosse is because you have the MLL history and the PLL history. So I don't understand why everyone gets up in arms about them calling it pro lacrosse. It's not them being disingenuous. That's just an easier way to say it. But, you know, you had some Canadian fans in particular, box fans up in arms. I don't know. What do you guys think of the the outrage? Yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Like it's kind of like assumed like, yes, pro lacrosse, like, we like to us, yes, we think about field, but you know, to some of the Canadians, like, what do you mean? Obviously there's the NLL to them. That's kind of pro lacrosse to them. So like, I understand it, but I was like, you know, and for the people that were talking about like, Oh, does it matter with, you know, whatever I'm like, well, yes, you know, there definitely is, you know, between the NLL and the, like the, and the field, like it's completely different. One, the stats in the indoor game are, you know, by far way, like there's insane numbers, you know, in the indoor game, but they're also completely different games and very different, you know, skill gaps and, you know, the, you know, the difficulty in it. And it's like just totally different games. Like, yes, it does matter that John Grant Jr. Blows away Paul Rabel in terms of points when it's in terms of, you know, both games, whereas Rabel's, you know, only really dominated the, the field game. So I don't know. I was just like, I don't know why there is this whole, like this whole, you know, confusion or like, you know, argument going on. I'm like, yes, the games are very different. They deserve to be just like, distinct in that way and also it does also matter that you know there's you know the stats and the and the numbers from that game too yeah i just don't understand why we can't enjoy you know paul rabel setting this record yeah. and, you know that's no disservice to john grant jr i still consider him the greatest of all time and i will probably to this day because of what he's been able to do both in the indoor and outdoor game no one i think will ever replicate that um if we do see someone replicate that that you know will be a tremendous feat so no disservice to john grant jr but you know we're not talking about combined pro points here we're clearly talking about just the field record in a field context so that's where i'm just like all right ticky tacky here like i can understand being a little annoyed um that's why we try our best to say pro field lacrosse we don't always get around to it sometimes the twitter character limit limits us but you know like i just think at the end of the day like we know what they're saying let's enjoy the moment for paul rabel and let's not you know try to you know split hairs here you know it's like in the nfl at the end of the the year they 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 talk about world champions right and there's there's no other countries in the league, right? It's it's those semantic things that leagues talk about. And uh, right now the PLL is trying to get lacrosse fans, right? They're trying to grow the fan base for lacrosse. And um, if I don't think there would be an issue if they said field lacrosse 
points later, you know, um, but they're just growing, trying to grow the sport and utilizing uh, lacrosse that may kind of change things if you, you throw indoor, outdoor, whatever the case may be. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. Obviously uh, we know uh, John Grant Jr. is the GOAT, but um, it couldn't hurt to just throw field in there, I don't think. But uh, obviously I'm a little bit more uh, lax when it comes to kind of semantics when it comes to those types of things. Yeah, no. And like, you know, if you had to give me a choice, I would say, yeah, let's put field in there to clarify. But at the end of the day, like we everyone knows what we're talking about. So, um, yeah, enough of that, though. Let's get to the game itself. Uh, pretty good game. You know, it looked like the cans might run away with it early on. We had some scraps early on, too, that led to Jacob Stover seeing his first time in the PLL after being on a backup on five teams. I didn't realize it was five teams. I thought it was only four, um, but he's been a backup. It, he went through uh, quite a few teams that first season um as a rookie um and it led you know from the scrum that involved morocco tyson bell cluche chase frazier involved a lot more than them but those were the ones assessed the five minute penalty um and stover came up big he he blanked o'keefe on the doorstep and then later he blanked kyle jackson on the doorstep um before morocco finally came back in so kudos to him in his uh pll debut but um the cannons eight four lead at half would not last long because the chaos just don't have any quit and they came out in the second half and um they really dissected that cannons defense um, and credit to uh, Blaze Reardon and Nett. Like, again, we keep talking about him, but he's just playing phenomenal. Um, he's not only, you know, saving, making big saves, but he's also leading to transition opportunities, which I think, it, you know, doesn't go unnoticed as well. Um, so they ended up going up 8-8. O'Keefe broke the tie with a long one-pointer before the Cannons answered to make it 9-9 heading into the fourth. Um, and from that day, you know, from that point on, it was, again, the Blaze Reardon show. He finishes with 18 saves, 67% save percentage, and he hasn't had less than 14 saves this season so far um, and only posted uh, less than 61% save percentage once um, in these five games. So he's, again, playing at another level. So let's listen to him after the game. Um, one word that pops into my mind is uh, re- resiliency. Um, we're a young bunch. I think we got uh, one or two guys on our team over the age of 30. So um, to kind of get a team toughness in a sense where we can be down at halftime, this is two weeks in a row we went – in the halftime, you know, three goals down. I let in a two with a minute left. That's a big momentum change going into their side and kind of I used the word reset last week, and we were able to reset again and come out flying and, you know, show resiliency and, you know, play chaos ball. Ty, what did you see from this chaos defense that led you to believe that they've kind of turned a corner? Yeah, I, I, I think that was kind of the story, you know, obviously the first couple of weeks and, you know, the offense missing a few guys and, you know, they were still trying to figure out, you know, that identity, like I was kind of like kind of talking about, and, you know, this was a team that definitely picked it up during the bubble. I mean, such a small sample size, but obviously they went, you know, from 0-4 to going to the title. And then, but in that process, you saw kind of like Rowlett become, you know, a good like on-ball defender and, you know, Newman kind of calmed down and sort of just settled into filling a role. And, you know, now they get Certic back. So I think this season they had a lot more opportunity to, you know, kind of solidify how they are in defense. And obviously I think it helps them tremendously. They have, they have that they have blade blaze Reardon, excuse me. Um, but I, I think that, yeah, I think it was a, a great game. And obviously, you know, if, if you're going to win a game and in the process have Lyle have a goal on, you know, four shots and a couple turnovers. Like I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. You know, I give, you know, Rabel, it is what it is. You know, that was his day, you know, maybe that was just in the books for him and, 
you know, he had a, he had a good, uh, a good outing obviously, but you know, they, they come out with the win, which is what most, what's most important. And I think going into this weekend, I think the top three goal scorers were like all on the cannons, like Drenner, um, Rabel and uh, Q, I think probably, um, or Lyle. Yeah, probably Lyle. Like they've, they've got guys on offense for sure. So, to, you know, to kind of be able to, you know, hold them to 10, which is a good number for, you know, prolax uh, and, and come out with it. So that was, uh, that was pretty big. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you mentioned Blaze. I, he, he's on his way to a third straight uh, goalie of the year award. There are four goalies in pro lacrosse, excuse me, since we're talking about it, field pro lacrosse history um, that have won three goalies of the year. Um, and it went during MLL, if you combine MLL and PLL. Um, and I don't know, uh, I don't believe any of them won three straight. So this would be the first time, I think, uh, in pro field, pro field across history where a goalie has won three straight. So, um, but, you know, staying with the specialty positions, Max Adler had his first big day at, at the stripe for, for the chaos, one winning 65% uh, of his face off. So uh, Peyton Smith doesn't look like the answer probably for um, the uh, cannons after making that trade. So, for sure, you know, we saw uh, a trade come last night through where the Cannons traded uh, Drew Simino and Chris Hogan to the Whip Snakes for, for Kevin Reisman, who was their face-off guy uh, when they won the MLL championship last year in the bubble. So um, we'll see if Reisman can be uh, that spark for Coach Quirk's squad. Yeah, no, I think that was a good move by Coach Quirk. Uh, you know, I think it's like an emergency move. Obviously, he dropped Tommy Kelly to the player pool after he wasn't getting it done. I thought Simino looked pretty good um, in, you know, in spots, but obviously again, wasn't, you know, probably the answer either. He tries to give Peyton Smith a run, not good on the day, 38%, obviously just, you know, small sample size for this year, but didn't do too well last year either. So he decides to trade for Reisman. Um, we'll assume that Peyton Smith will also get some runs still at faceoff, but um, I think Reisman's he's looking for him to be the guy. Now Reisman three for six, 50% in his only outing with the whip snakes. Not bad. He's obviously played well in past seasons. Again, I, I don't know how he's going to do consistently against this PLL talent, but I think it's a good move because he gives up Simino and Chris Hogan. Uh, not too many major pieces. Obviously you trade a face-off guy for a face-off guy, giving up another piece. Um, so I don't think it's that, that bad of a move for him to, to kind of try that out. And, you know, he's kind of in desperation mode right now to try to figure out what they can do at the face-off X. Um, and on the flip side, if you're coach Stagnita, cool, you get a, you know, backup faceoff guy that you may consider even an upgrade, uh, you know, Drew Simino tends to do better in a two faceoff system anyway. And then you get, you know, Chris Hogan, who can run short stick defensive midi if you really need him to, obviously they have a lot of options there, but they lost Camizio um, to the Chrome by not having him on the restricted roster. So, you know, you can plug in Hogan there if needed. Um, again, I think, you know, Camizio is probably, a, a more of an upgrade than Hogan is. So losing him hurts a little bit, but overall, I don't think it's a bad move. I just don't know how much of an impact this move is going to make, but yeah, the news was broken by pro football talk, not pro lacrosse talk this time around. Again, I don't think this move is going to make much of an impact on both squads, um, you know, but the cans are hoping it does. And if the cans do, then, you know, it was a good move for them. So we'll certainly be looking forward to seeing that. Um, as I mentioned, the whip snakes, they were looking to get back on track this week. They had a tough test facing the Archers team. Luckily, the Archers, you know, had short rest, so that kind of played into their hand a little bit. But Whoops were also without Matt Rambo. Zed Williams did play in this game. He made a big impact, um, and they ended up winning 15-14 to 14 in, a, you know, what was a really high-scoring affair for two defenses that, you know, came into this game looking pretty solid um, in weeks past. But what did you see from this game, Ty, that led you to believe that the Whip Snakes are still contenders even without Matt Rambo and 
give us your thoughts too on the archers and how they looked. If, if you thought, you know, maybe this was a, just a tough game for them on short rest or if they have some issues they need to work out. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was an unreal game. Like it was, it was amazing. Uh, you know, no major, you know, it wasn't like one team leapt out above the, like, it was just very much even back and forth, back and forth. Seeing Gittleman flying around the field was, was fun. Um, and like you said, Burnlore just a rough day. I actually didn't even look at the stat, like the stats afterwards. Like I had no idea he had made so few saves. Um, it just, I was just like, well, it's the archers, you know, they're just, they're just shooting, you know, the crap out of the ball and they're, 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 they're a good team. That's bound to happen. But I actually didn't even know it was, it was, uh, so low, but I think from, from an offensive standpoint, like it's interesting. And I was having this conversation with my friend, like, yes. Okay. If Rambo was in the game, you know, would it be, you know, no question that they were going to win, you know, I like with the attack lineup, they rolled out because Ryan Tierney was in to start. They took him out eventually. I think they subbed in Brad Smith event uh, after that, but I felt like he was getting midfield runs uh, as well, but um, you know, he ends up with five points and, you know, all those goals were, you know, impressive. So it's just interesting. Like, you know, you're missing, you know, an all, you know, world attackman and you kind of can just have somebody else kind of fill in the gaps, you know, you know, Zed had a great game. Um, you know, have, you know, Brad Smith, like I just said, be able to have, you know, five points and, you know, still they make so little saves um, and they still win, you know, Jay Carlson looked unbelievable, like incredible. You know, I've, I've never, never, obviously I haven't watched a lot of these guys play in person, but you know, that one backhand turned it around, rolled it in the goal. Like mm-hmm. that was, that was un- un- incredible, you know, and the, the last goal was obviously amazing. Like when that guy has the ball, you know, and conversely on the other side, Will Manny was, was amazing. And he's been really, really great all season. You know, Tom Schreiber's Tom Schreiber and Grant Amens snatching, you know, two ankles in one game, mm-hmm. which was, which was, a, which was something to watch. I mean, that was, that was like, I was sitting there just jaw dropped. Um, so to not get too much on the, the fanboy side of the game, it was a great game. Um, I, I think both teams really just showed like that's very much a playoff, if not championship matchup. You know, it's it's kind of like the Patriots. You know, one game, you know, random running back can have, you know, four catching touchdowns. And then, you know, the next game it's, you know, Julian Edelman, you know, classic or Brady having a great game. Like no matter what, they're just like they just play, they win and they just find a way to do it. And, mm-hmm. you know, for that game, it was, you know, Brad Smith. Doing, yeah, doing. yeah, and you you mentioned Will Manny. He moved in to tenth all time in points, which is super exciting. Um, but you know, this team, but in this game, they had my arguably top two all underrated guys in between Brad Smith and Ryan Ambler mm-hmm. uh, on the Archers. They're two of my my favorite guys to watch in this league, and I don't think either of them get enough clout. So, but big game uh, by by Brad Smith and obviously Jake Carlson. Coming up, huge as usual for for this whip squad, getting that game winner late. Yeah, no, and uh, I mean, I, I I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. I you know I did think though the whip snakes, just to your point too, Ty, um, really dominated a lot more than the score sheet said. You know, we mentioned uh, Burnlord did not have a good game. He only had four saves on the day, um, which you know is just atrocious. Twenty two percent. Um, I think probably his worst in his career because he's played phenomenal um, really his entire PLL career. So um, this was just a bad game that he should just burn the tape. I think, Um, you know, any shot that was thrown at him, he just wasn't saving it. 48% shooting percentage was the archer shooting percentage, which is just ridiculous on the day, you know, give credit to their shooters as well. But 
I think Joe Nardella really swayed this in the whip snakes favor. He had 70, he went 72% on the day. They were just getting a lot of those possessions, extra possessions, and they forced the archers to, you know, score on every shot that they took. Um, so, you know, credit to the archers for staying in this game, despite the lopsided faceoff battle. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it, it just shows that, you know, in order for the archers to really make that next step that we've seen the whip snakes make, they need to get play at all facets of, of the game. You know, they, they've obviously they've got the goaltender play this year so far. Gittleman played well in this one. Even Drew Adams has play, played well on Friday despite their loss. Um, they have the defense now. You know, they're, they're, they had the defense in past years, but now it's like a force. Like their defense could – you could argue make the case the defense is more of a threat for them than their offense in terms of, you know – getting winning them games and they obviously showed up big in that friday night um and you know the the offense just couldn't get it done and then their offense has so many weapons so this team is very complete on a lot of facets but the one thing that they're still struggling with is face-offs and we've seen stephen kelly do well um in some big moments but you know right now i just think that's going to be their achilles heel going forward and in order for them to get past the whip snakes they're going to have to figure it out at the face-off strike whether that's stephen kelly playing better or their wing play you know, that's played pretty well past weeks uh, to continue to step it up. But yeah, we'll certainly see and be monitoring, you know, them and their bounce back next week. But uh, overall, I thought, you know, the whips proved they were the better team. Um, obviously the score sheet was really close 15 to 14. I don't think the archers are a bad team by any stretch of the imagination, but I think the whips prove that they're still the team to beat in this league. Yeah. I just want to quickly add to just some of the, now that I'm looking at like the stat sheets again, Graham Hasek is, is, is a enormous person. Like he just watching him play defense against Zed in this game. I was like, that's just two immovable objects. Like it was, it was truly a battle. That guy is so, so, so big. Uh, He's, he's got, you know, obviously the checks and the, and the body kind of once you get around, around GLE and, you know, conversely, Again, you know, a lot of guys I haven't really seen like play, but Matt Dunn is also so big. Like he he was like way taller than I thought. And just watching him go up against, you know, Amen, I was like, like, you know, and seeing Grant after the game, I'm like, this guy's literally my size. Like, mm-hmm. how on earth do you dodge against someone like this? And then the first play of the game, he took blue by him lefty and scored. But just uh, just bo- both defenses. I mean, the the Archers defense is actually uh, nine goals per game they've allowed. And that's two better than the next best, uh, which everyone else is at 11 or higher. Um, they've got the least amount, you know, goals allowed. And, you know, I, I think that they're giving the whips, you know, a good, I think the whips are like 13 a game. Like, I think they've, I think they might've, you know, usurped them as potentially the best defensive unit, especially with, um, you know, Burn Lord having what seems to be like an off year. I think he's at like 50% in goal. Um, but guys like Matt Abbott, you know, more guys they've been able to plug mm-hmm. in, you know, three cause turnovers, like all of those, like those weren't very ticky tack. Like those were just straight up, like stripping the guy or throwing some on. He had one one-handed check that wrapped around and just popped, like hit the ball perfectly out of the pocket. Like it could not have looked any more textbook and same thing kind of with the archers, just other, you know, kind of uh, fill in guys like Latrell Harris does a, does a great job. Just, you know, buzzing around the field with clears or just, uh, kind of transition stuff. Um, and, um, yeah, no, I, yeah. it just ran a couple of random points. I just, I needed to throw in there, but I think a lot of like new additions, these teams have added have like, they're, they're definitely making differences compared yeah. to some other teams. No, I agree. And I'm glad you mentioned like between the numbers that where the whip snakes, you know, tend to dominate, 
you know, they're getting it done with a lot of different faces. Matt Abbott, obviously, we've known what he's done for, for the Bayhawks for numerous years um, and now coming on the whips. Uh, hasn't missed a beat. He missed last season uh, in the MLL bubble, um, but at 34 years of age, he's looking, you know, just like he has for the past decade in his pro career. Um, and I want to give some love to Colin Squires too, the rookie that's was doing a really good job of providing relief to Michael Earhart as well. Um, he just had one cause turnover and two ground balls on the, the day, but um, I think he's been playing really, really well too. And they obviously trust him a lot. He gets a lot of minutes as well. So yeah, I, I think it just shows that, the whips believe in their system. And I like you made the Patriots reference as much as I can't stand the Patriots. It's a good reference to make because they believe in their system and they're able to plug in different guys, even when they do have key injuries. So yeah, great, great point about that as well. And that brings us to our final game of the weekend, the Chrome second game uh, against the Atlas. The Atlas have been on fire lately and they continued that into this um, Trevor Baptiste had a phenomenal day at the stripe. He ended up finishing with a stat line of 63%, 15 for 24 faceoffs against Connor Farrell, who was probably a little bit tired from that first game, but it's no slouch at the stripe either. So let's toss to him and hear what he had to say after the game. I, I don't even know how to give those guys enough props. You know, Danny Logan, Jake, BA, Newbolt, Chick, even Pless when he's, when he's in, you know, they do such a great job and, and we've all really gelled together. Um, and, and, you know, like, no matter what, I think win or lose, we know that we're going to give it our 100%, and we know we're not going to make it easy for the other team, which is so important in, in the length of a professional game. Most times you only have one face-off guy out there, the same couple guys taking every wing. And if you can just battle every single face-off, we know that a lot of guys don't like that. You know, a lot of guys can't hang with that. So, so obviously he gave a lot of love to his wing play. Um, you know, some of those guys, you know, include – Danny Logan, um, you know, at short stick defensive midi. You have Brian Cosbiel sometimes out there on the wings. Um, a lot of their LSMs too, and Kyle Pless when he's playing, and Andrew Newbold have been playing really, really well. Um, so he gives a lot of credit to the wing play from the Atlas. But man, their your their young stars are really coming out in droves and playing really well. Jeff Teat kind of had a quiet day by his standards, um, you know, with only three points. Um, but man, Brian Costabile just lit up the score sheet. He had six points, including three goals, one two-point goal, one assist. And he also added two ground balls and two calls turnovers as well. So Costabile is playing amazing on all facets. I thought Danny Logan continues to look great. You can't even really call him a short stick defensive mini anymore because he can, shows he can rip on offense as well. Um, and he actually led to one of Costabile's two-point goals as well. So, um, you know, they're, they're able to push in transition, which I think is really important, um, especially in this league. And that's something that they came out wanting to do this season compared to previous seasons. Uh, but what did you see, Ty, from the young Bulls that really leads you to believe that they could contend for a championship this season? I, I mean, I, I think the talk last year when they kind of had the Pinnell trade and, and the, you know, Rabel was still there and, and all that, you know, the talk was like, if this midfield line clicks, it's off the charts. And, you know, obviously then Busick and Rabel shot poorly and, you know, it, it didn't work for Atlas in the bubble, but this time around, I think this is exactly, exactly what you want. If you're an Atlas fan, like if you look at the attack, Eric law, two points, Caraway had, you know, a goal and like really not many shots. Usually he gets a lot of takes per game and he's got a cannon, you know, guys like Bucaro or then obviously Teets now in, you know, he got, you know, got a couple points. But, like, the midfield dominated this game. Like, Danny Logan, like, the transition guys, and then obviously Costabile and Dennis. I mean, watching Brian Costabile play, I have no qualms with saying, like, I'm looking at the next 
best midfielder in the league for the years mm-hmm. to come. Like there's no question about it in my mind. Um, and say what you want about the Chrome playing, you know, twice in the weekend. Uh, because I mean, even talking afterwards, I was talking to some of the Chrome guys real. I was like, how do you know, does that actually matter to you guys? Like how, you know, how has that been feeling? He was like, honestly, like, I think it, it I think it's helped. He was like, I don't know how the stats on the, you know, teams who have played twice this whole season, but mm-hmm. he was like, he was like, I honestly, like, we felt like good, like, you know, like I, you know, almost kind of helped that you kind of had a game under your belt beforehand. So I don't know how, you know, how truly gassed they might've been just those shorties of the poles trying to guard the mids because it, it was a, it was a shooting gallery. I mean, a couple of Romar Dennis's shots were like absolutely whistling. Like I've, I've seen nothing like it. And Costabile, there's guys, and you notice it in, in, in pro sports in general, but guys who can play the game just at complete full speed. Like there's some kind of point guards that are very perky jerky in the, you know, the NBA and they kind of are very tactical. And there's some guys like Westbrook who will just literally be running full speed with the ball and can lay the ball in and dunk or do whatever. Costabile plays the game at 100% speed and can can do anything he, he rolls back after running full speed right beforehand he'll throw a feed you know off of a dodge or running down you know um i think that one transition goal that was beautiful was him picking off um i think a pass from ranigan running full speed down the field and throwing a perfect pass running head on towards a pole and then he pet fed it across to teat who finished it, you know, one on none. Like it was just, just watching him play. I was like, this guy really has no downside to his game and he can play both sides. He had a, he had a one-handed check, beautiful takeaway on, on defense. Um, so to not get carried away, I think this is the perfect, like the ideal scenarios you have, you know, this midfield unit that can just shoot the lights out and cause so many slides and problems. And then another game you'll have, you know, um, teat with seven points <laughs> or seven goals and, Caraway with you know two two pointers you know so there's there's just such a good balance where they spin the ball you know better than anybody I think or at least up there so it was a very very entertaining game despite kind of being a Chrome fan because I was there for my my boy ran again because he's from mm-hmm. my high school yeah no, other than that I was just like you know what I can't even be mad these guys are putting out a you know unbelievable shooting you know kind of shooting performance so it was it, it was a good game and I I think this is exact you know kind of Atlas has their, you know, they've got great guys on defense and cannons, a good goalie. He fortunately looks like he might be hurt um, for what might be the rest of the year, but otherwise the offense, you know, the offense is there. I think this is just what you were looking to do with making those trades and drafting all those young guys. Looks like they've got themselves set up. Yeah, no. And to your point, actually uh, earlier too, about, you know, playing on short rest certainly doesn't help teams, but right now the record's four and four. So doesn't seem to be making too much of a difference for teams. Um, you know, in terms of how much rest you get during the weekend. So I, I think, you know, you had a point there as well. And, um, yeah, this Atlas team looks to be going good and they're actually playing their, their last four games where it stands right now are playing all against teams that are under 500. So they're going to get the chaos next week. Then after the all-star break, they'll play the Chrome who are currently two and three. Um, again, and then they'll play the cannons who are one and four, and then they'll get another game against the water dogs. Um, so, you know, they've, they've played well against that Cannons team prior winning, you know, a, a shootout earlier in the season. And uh, I think they're going to, you know, have a pretty, I don't want to say easy test. It's again, this league is, there's so much parity in this league that any given weekend, you could say that a team could lose, but it's, it's no, uh, they've kind of gotten their tough games out of the way right now. Um, so I, I think yeah. they could really make a run at this, but um, Adam, what did you see from the defense in particular? That's led you to believe that this defensive unit is really a championship caliber team. 
Yeah, obviously, Jack and Cannon's injury kind of changes things a little bit. But, I mean, uh, in front of him, Michael Rexroads, Tucker Durkin, Craig Chick playing phenomenal, per usual. And CBR, you know, this unit's really coming together. You know, this was kind of an Achilles heel in, in years past, potentially, uh, that, that they were just getting beat in a lot of areas. And uh, this unit has really stepped it up this year and uh, is super formidable when it comes to going against some of the top offenses in the league. So um, with, with that defensive unit, they, they're going to be in a lot of these games. You know, absolutely. And, you know, you, you have Danny Logan, we mentioned earlier, and Jake Richard playing really, really well at Shorty. And then Brent Adams as well, getting some runs as well. He hasn't made too much of an impact on the offensive side, but between the numbers, he's kind of made, you know, uh, an impact that doesn't get really seen on the score sheet. Uh, but yeah, we'll definitely be monitoring Concanon's status. Um, doesn't look too good right now. Obviously, he had to leave in an ambulance. Um, we don't want to speculate on what the injury was, but it was looked like the groin areas where he got hit on that previous shot. So hopefully it's nothing too major for him. Hopefully we can see him back. But right now, not looking too good. We'll monitor that situation. We didn't have any update from Coach Ruber after the game. Um, he was still looking, you know, he still wasn't aware of his status quite yet. Uh, but J.D. Calarusto, no slouch in goal. He came in relief and made two saves, you know, kind of led in three. But, uh, you know, it's tough always coming in late, as you know, Adam, um, com coming in cold. Um, so I think, you know, he, he could still backstop them pretty well if they do lose Kincannon for the rest of the season. But we actually got to talk to a member of the Atlas, so let's hear a, a word from our sponsor, and then we'll toss to our interview with Jeff T. Welcome back to Pro Lacrosse Talk on the Lacrosse Playground Podcast Network. Today on Pro Lacrosse Talk, we are joined by the first overall pick in both the NLL entry draft by the New York Riptide and PLL College draft by the Atlas Lacrosse Club in Jeff T. Jeff, you had a big weekend on Long Island, notching three points to help the Atlas get the W and a dominant performance against the Chrome. We're expecting some more great performances on Long Island with the Riptide this December. But first, talk to us about what it's like to make the jump to the pros. Uh, it was good. It's, it's fun. It's, it's been a while since I played, obviously. But, um, you know, just getting back out there on the field, especially, you know, with that with that group of guys has been you know, a lot of fun. And um, it's, it's been great to be back. It was your first real competitive game um, in a while. So... How were you able to kind of shake the rust off and uh, talk about just, you know, the long layover from not playing a college season this season and, you know, making your debut against a pretty formidable Whip Snakes team? Yeah, definitely, uh, you know, it took some time to get going. Um, a little tired, a little sore, definitely. But um, I think the guys around me made it, you know, pretty easy. You know, they said instill confidence and made, you know, those guys in the offensive end especially is extremely, extremely fun and, and easy to play with. So, um, you know, after a little bit, it just kind of came seamlessly. Yeah, and talk a little bit about some of your new Atlas teammates. Obviously, you just said uh, you're, you're connecting with them really early on, and you know you didn't really have that training camp to, to make those connections. So uh, how did you kind of connect with them really early on in your career in the season? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're extremely easy to play with. Um, I actually haven't played with uh, any of them, I don't think. I mm -hmm. played with, obviously, Mark uh, Cockington mm -hmm. a couple of times, and he's, you know, he's extremely fun to play with. And Obviously, uh, you know, we, we mesh well, but uh, everybody else haven't really got the chance to play with. But, um, you know, obviously we've had a couple of practices and um, able to talk stuff through off the field and um, kind of have great chemistry already. So it, it's been fun and it's, and it's been it's been pretty fairly easy. And what were your conversations with Coach Rubio both leading up to the draft once you got drafted and then once you were about to make your debut? Yeah, it was kind of it's kind of crazy, like wondering when I'll be able to play and mm -hmm. maybe this week, maybe next week. But uh, no, he's, uh, we love playing for him. And, um, 
anytime you know we get the chance to you know have a conversation or anything like that you know aside from lacrosse it's it's, it's always enjoyable and it's fun and um uh you know he's, he's, he's a great coach he's a great guy and um i couldn't be a happier to play for him yeah and kind of talk about the, this uh past weekend uh in new york you know you beat a chrome squad that was coming off two big victories already and uh you had a dominant second quarter against them that really you never lost the lead from there so um talk about that game what was really clicking for you guys on the offensive end yeah, um, you know that that team was uh, uh, on a bit of a hot streak, and um, you know we were uh, pretty confident in ourselves. But um, you know we had to make some adjustments after that first quarter, and then uh, you know we really started to come out of our shell, and um, everything was kind of clicking from you know goalie to our defense. Uh, Trev was phenomenal, especially in that fourth quarter, mm-hmm. um, and then you know our, our offense kind of you know, got looks from everywhere, and um, you know, we seemed pretty comfortable out there. Yeah, no, and uh, you had a massive performance in Baltimore with that nine points, uh, seven goals, two assists. So, you know, in these first three games, you've really started to come into your own. Um, I think we've seen some big strides from the offense. Talk a little bit about, too, what you guys do kind of in between weekends to kind of, you know, build chemistry, too. Do you guys, you know, do Zoom sessions to kind of, you know, go over film or kind of how have you guys been building chemistry when you're not on the field? Yeah, obviously we're not all able to be together every day and you know, especially early on in the week. Um, but yeah, no, we're always talking on, you know, upcoming game, little scout, uh, film session here and there. And then obviously when we get there, we have a practice before and able to, you know, hash things out and you know, get loose and get ready. But um, I mean, we're always kind of talking a game plan, especially, you know, with those older guys, it's, it's fairly seamlessly and easy. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And, you know, it's crazy to think there's only a handful of regular season weeks left, right, for, for the PLL. So what are some of the, the keys going forward for, for this Atlas squad? You know, maybe going into this weekend when you, you face a, another team that's on a bit of a roll in the chaos. Yeah, I think for us it's just, you know, taking one step at a time, focusing on, um, you, know, you know, the smaller things and taking it one game at a time, one play at a time, uh, one quarter at a time, and you know, try not to get too lost in, you know, the big picture and just kind of, keep our focus um you know where it needs to be and obviously we mentioned that you went first overall not only in the PLL but also the NLL draft you're only one of three players to do that including Lyle Thompson and Kevin Crowley talk about how excited you are to get back onto the floor um with the box game this December with the New York Riptide yeah extremely excited I think um you know it's been even longer um playing box cross I think now not just for me but you know for everybody else in that plays so I think everybody's kind of looking forward to that first December weekend of just, you know, getting back on the floor and you know, getting back to playing some box across. And talk about signing with the Riptide earlier uh, in, in June, you know, it was a, a really exciting announcement and talk about maybe some guys you're really excited to, to play with on the Riptide. Yeah. I mean, um, it's kind of a weird situation, obviously sure. having a season and then, you know, talks about bubble and then that getting shut down. So, um, you know, it's been uh, uh, eight months or so since, um, actually, I got drafted. So yeah. I was finally getting that signing. That signing thing, um, you know, side of the way was was good. And then, yeah, looking forward to playing with obviously Tyson again. I played with yep. him for four years in Brampton, and you know, he's extremely easy to play with and and fun. We mesh well, which is good. Um, obviously, Calm haven't played with him um, yet, but obviously, everybody knows how good and capable he is of of doing his thing. So, um, yeah, those two guys, and obviously now I got to play with um, Andy Borgatti. Um, uh, in Brampton for, you know, many years, mm-hmm. and obviously, uh, Orly. So good core group of guys and you know, looking forward to it. 
Yeah, and I know we're, we're talking about the, the, the guys you, you'll suit up with, but maybe let's talk about uh, a guy in particular you'll be going against in your, your pops, right, with Panther City. Talk about uh, that first game when you go uh, against your dad. Yeah, I think it'll be a little weird, but I think it'll also be cool. Obviously, um, we're used to being on the, on the same bench and mm-hmm. the same team meetings and stuff like that. So um, I'm not too sure how, how, it, uh, how it'll feel, but uh, definitely <laughs> a little weird, but I think I'll speak cool and fun as well. And obviously your dad was a phenomenal player in his own right and coach. Uh, talk a little bit about his influence on your lacrosse career and you know, how has he helped you really grow as a player? Yeah, I mean, you know, just I think just being able to you know, be around him and, and the teams when I was younger and just kind of watch know how they carry themselves and you know picking up little habits of um, different people's games I, I think that's huge for me and um, you know still to this day I'm, I'm still trying to you know kind of use my brain as a sponge for lacrosse and pick up every little thing that I can so um, yeah it definitely had a huge influence on me and um, obviously wouldn't be here uh, without him and you know my, my game kind of similar to his so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And on your own bench, uh, how's it been getting to know Coach Dan Latasor on your own bench and Jim Veltman, the GM of the Riptide? Yeah, obviously those two guys have you know had their own career. And for me, growing up, you know, being able to you know watch them and you know watch my you know father play against them and stuff like that. So um, definitely familiar with both those guys and you know having them in you know coaching and management. It's just um, I think it's been great. It's it's been easy. Um, Coach Lattister, um, specifically, obviously, he's on the on the bench. But um, having a guy that you know just loves the game across and just wants to win is something that um, is extremely easy for you know players to play for. No, absolutely. Well, we're certainly looking forward to your debut with the Riptide. Um, we're going to do a f- fun segment now. We call the Five and Five, where I'll ask you five lacrosse questions, and then Adam will ask you five off the field questions. And the first one I have for you: are, What are some pregame routines that you have? Uh, pregame routines, nothing too superstitious. Um, just make sure my stick's ready to go pretty much and, um, you know, throwing well, it's, it's taped. I think that's it. Okay. Awesome. And then what has been your favorite venue to play lacrosse at? And that can be both in the box or field game. Uh, favorite wise. I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't really think I have a favorite other than, um, I like playing a Memorial. Obviously it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. oh, Brampton, Brampton Memorial. So, um, that's kind of, that's kind of home base and you know, I love playing there. Um, Shulkoff field at Cornell is probably my favorite um, field venue. Obviously a little biased, but mm-hmm. um, a places. Awesome. And, you know, we mentioned your stick. What are you currently using uh, in terms of stick setup, head, shaft, stringing? What are you rocking these days? Um, normally using a Lakota. Obviously, we were sponsored by Nike and SDX at school. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm using Dalian right now. Um, just picked it up. So, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah. And then uh, in terms of teammates on the Atlas, who's the funniest teammate that you have on the Atlas? Um, probably Dan McCarrow. <laughs> Why is that? He's funny. I don't know. He's just a, he's a funny guy, funny looking dude. Um, <laughs> we have some mutual friends. So uh, now we, no, we, we have a lot of fun and, and we mesh well. And you know, he's a great guy to be around. Awesome. And then finally, if they made an NLL video game, who would you say deserves to be on the cover? Current players, yeah, I'll probably go current players just because uh, I would say Brody Merrill. Brody Merrill, awesome. Yeah, and obviously you, you got to play against him too when you guys took on the Cannons. Um, that must have been surreal. Adam, you want to take away the off the yeah, field questions? Sure. Um, number one, obviously, you know, you're you're uh, on the floor or, or the field a lot, but what are some hobbies you enjoy doing when you're not playing lacrosse? 
Uh, I don't know. My life kind of revolves around the cops. Yeah, sure. Um, no, I like to watch a lot of movies, specifically Marvel movies. Okay. Um, like to hang out with my little bros when I'm obviously I haven't seen them in a, in a while, but yeah. um, hanging out with them and messing around, playing whatever they want to play is, is definitely something I love to do. Nice. Uh, well, that goes perfectly into my next question. We're we're always asking for recommendations for for movies or, or TV shows or anything that you're watching these days. So I guess Marvel Marvel's the one for you. What what's your favorite? Um, that's, I like all of them. I, yeah. I'm not particularly picky. Um, I've seen, I've seen all of them a good amount of time. So watching, um, the shows that come on now. So. Yeah. Did you check out Loki yet? Yeah, I have. I love it. It's yeah. Good. It's good stuff. I just started that last night. Uh, I've watched winter soldier and uh Falcon already and then WandaVision, but I, I need to check out Loki. I just started it last night. It was pretty, pretty good. good for the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't miss. <laughs> yeah, they don't. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, number three, uh, who's an athlete in another sport you really enjoy watching right now? Any any particular athlete? Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a LeBron fan. Okay. But um, obviously they're out right now. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Watching Kevin Durant play in the playoffs has been uh, super fun to watch. Um, I love watching basketball. I know a lot of people don't like the NBA, but I'm, a, I'm definitely an NBA fan. Yeah, but I'm a big NBA fan, man. If Kevin Durant had like a shoe size that was like a half a size smaller, they brought, they would have been in the the Eastern Conference Finals if he, when he made that shot against Giannis. But yeah, uh, do you have do you have the squad or is it just you go by player? No, I, I like the Raptors. Raptors. From, from Figure as much. You guys, uh, you guys beat. I'm from Philly, so you guys beat my Sixers two years, I, three years ago with that Kawhi shot. So I, uh, I don't think I've gotten over that yet. Still. Yeah, that was one of the great things. <laughs> Awesome. Number four, uh, favorite spot to vacation. Um, I don't, I don't really go on vacation to be honest. Um, a lot of lacrosse year round. Um, going to Israel was extremely fun though. Mm -hmm. Obviously it was a, it was a, it was a lacrosse trip, but, um, you know, just being a part of their culture for the two weeks or so is um, definitely something that was extremely fun and great place. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll throw up for for being there since you since you mentioned industry. I'll talk about kind of your excitement to hopefully play it in, in the World Games this this next time around. Yeah, man, that that um that first experience um with the men's team was incredible. I mean, mm -hmm. just just being around those guys is uh, actually a couple of them um you know played with or against you know my dad. So yeah, growing up kind of watching them and then being able to play with them is um. It was definitely cool and just learning from them how they carry themselves little tips here and there is extremely fun that's awesome uh and then my last off the field question favorite meal do you prefer to dine out take out or cook at home um favorite meal probably chicken farm okay i that's, like pre-game meal so that's a classic staple that's for literally yeah, the, the number yeah, one choice that and steak i feel like are always question are always good answers um, to wrap up, that's our five and five, but I like to know one final question. What is some advice that you have for a young player looking to one day play lacrosse professionally, whether it's in the PLL or NLL? Um, yeah, I would just say you try to soak up as much information as possible. Just just keep trying to learn and, um, you know, ask questions when you can. And I would say just, you know, watch, watch a lot of cross. That's kind of what I did is just kind of pick up on little habits of um, different people, and I, and I still do. So, you know, just use your brain as a sponge and, you know, try to con continue to, to learn any way you can. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you hopping on, Jeff. Best of luck this upcoming week with the PLL, with the Atlas. And, of course, you know, good luck on the floor and the NLL as well when you hit the floor in December with the Riptide. We're certainly looking forward to it. But best of luck. Thank you very much.
All right, so welcome back. That's our interview with Jeff. We really appreciate him hop- hopping on the podcast and talking with us both Atlas side of things and Riptide side of things. But now let's get into our game picks, guys. We'll, we'll start off and we'll just kind of rip down the, the list. You guys give me your picks and a few, you know, reasons why you think th- they might be right. And, uh, and we'll go off to the races. We're headed to Minneapolis this weekend. And to start off on Friday, we got a matchup between the Water Dogs and the Cannons, 8 p.m. on Friday night. I'll start with you, Ty. Who do you like in this game? I'd like to think the water dogs are kind of hitting their stride offensively. I think that last game did a good number for kind of, you know, guys confidence and, and, uh, and sort of them going forward. And I think, I think if the chaos can match up defensively, I know the water dogs have been a little questionable despite you, you know, like, like you kind of brought up, they've got those five poles, but we don't really know yet. I think in a close one, no, I think the I think the cannons. I think it's a do or die kind of game for them, and I think that they've got to they've got to pull one out. So I think that they're gonna um, even things out and send the water dogs to two and four. So they'll they'll be tied at the bottom there. I think the cannons will pull this one out. Yep, I I take the cannons in this one as well. It's going to be uh, another grind out battle for both of these squads. But just for standings purposes, let's go. Let's make it a little bit murkier, right? Let's murky that water dog uh, and go with the cannons. Yeah, no, this one's uh, tough for me, kind of a toss-up as well. I, I don't really like the face-offs from either side. Jake Withers hasn't been playing too well, but I think he'll have an easier test against either a Cold Reisman or Peyton Smith, who didn't look that great. So I'm going to go Water Dogs. It's going to be a close one. I think candidates do or die, but um, I feel it's the same way for the Water Dogs, honestly. You know, they're only at two and three. They're in desperate need of a win, haven't gotten one in two weeks. So I think they're going to be coming out looking for a win too. And just what I've seen from this offense leads me to believe if they get into a shootout with the cannons, they can win. Um, obviously they didn't in that first week, but um, I, I think this time around they get the W. So I'm going to differ with you guys. Following that, we have a game on Saturday between the Redwoods and the Whip Snakes, uh, the big rivalry game this weekend. Who do you guys like in this one? I'll start with you, Ty. This is tough. You know, classic rivalry game now, like you just said. Um, I think – I don't know. I, I think, I think the Redwoods, cause this is, you know, this is our first look at really, you know, the top two face-off guys, you know, TD Erland, who's, you know, was like 6% ahead of Nardella going into this weekend. Now they're a little closer, but you know, TD has been like, quite frankly, unbelievable. Uh, and Nardella has been no, no, uh, nothing to scoff at either. I think that's going to be, you know, pretty huge. You know, the woods are obviously, you know, doing well, defend like defensively you know on average they're you know they're always up there and you know same with the whips but you know I think if the woods can kind of click on offense as they did you know like we were saying the whips you know the whips haven't been the same defensively and you know with Burnlaw, you know hopefully if, if he can get back on his horse that you know they're going to need him to but you know I, I think I'm going to take the redwoods I think they uh it was a good win for them this past week like we were talking about and I think they're gonna they're gonna really push for this one yeah, I want anarchy. I'm staying with with the route. This lo- uh, a loss for the Whip Snakes brings them to the same record as the Woods, makes it a little even murkier. Let's go Woods. Uh, I'm going to differ with you guys again. Uh, I like the Whip Snakes. I, I think again the faceoff battle is going to be the big uh, storyline going into this between TD and Nardella, and I think Nardella is going to deliver. I think it's going to be again another close game. Um, but my biggest thing with the Redwoods is. They're a little bit undisciplined. They take a lot of penalties. And we all know that the whip snakes will burn you on the power play. So I, I like to see the, the whip snakes play a little bit more disciplined style against the Redwoods. And I think they get the victory in this one. Moving on to the next Saturday's game, we have the Atlas taking on the chaos. Again, we mentioned the Atlas are kind of 
on the up and up, but so are the chaos right now. They each won two straight. So big game between uh, these two teams. Who do you like in this one, Ty? The Atlas and the chaos. I think, hmm, you know, similarly, the chaos get a big win and they, they, they seem like they're kind of figuring things out. And the point I was going to make before was kind of like with the Atlas, like the most ideal kind of game for them is one, you know, where, you know, their midfield kind of helps out. I think this was the, like the perfect game, the chaos were, if you look at the highlights, all of them were coming off of picks or some kind of rotation on the defense. Like they were doing exactly what, you know, what you would want to see, you know, a lot of their, their attack guys getting the points uh, like, you know, Mac O'Keefe getting his shots off. So I think if the chaos can do that, but at the same time, I like the Atlas, uh, the, like defensively, like we were saying, I think that they'll be able to hang and uh, talk through those switches and, you know, goaltending wise chaos have the, at the advantage Faceoff wise, I'd say the Atlas have a pretty heavy advantage. So this one's tough for me. I think it's a toss up, but I think I think the Atlas are going to win. I'm going chaos in this one. I think you, you mentioned in cage uh, the chaos have uh, the leg up. I think both of these teams are surging right now. But uh, if I'm sticking with my uh, muddying the uh, standings waters, uh, that means uh, the chaos should take this one. So uh, I'm going chaos and Blaze Raven. All right, uh, I for me it's it's really tough. I honestly think Max Adler is going to come out and have a big day against Baptiste. He's played him well in previous MLL seasons. Um, had a big day against uh, him, you know, in, in 2019, I believe. But I, I just love this Atlas team right now. I think this is going to be a high-scoring affair because there's going to be a lot of transition goals. I think you know we've seen these teams, maybe not the chaos as much this year, but been able to put up a lot of points on offense. So um, I, I really like the Atlas in this game. Um, again, whenever you have Blaze Reardon in net, you're going to have a chance. So this one is a really a true toss up for me, but I got to go with the bulls and I'm going Atlas. Moving on to the Sunday's matchup between the Chrome and water dogs. This is the water Dogs' second game of the weekend. Uh, this is a battle between currently two and three squads. We'll won't know what the water dogs record is heading into this, but who do you like in this game, Ty? I think for the final for the for the slur, I guess the last day. But um, as far as the last day, we're starting off Chrome Water Dogs. I think we're gonna go. I think we're gonna see the Chrome. I think the Chrome are coming out because the Water Dogs. I think on top of the Cannons, <clears throat> despite the Cannons only having their one win, they see they they seem like an inconsistent team. Like they can play so well, and then you know, uh, obviously they've got four losses. I think. I think the Chrome are going to be able to um, are going to be good, you know, offensively again, like we were saying, the water dogs, we don't know uh, kind of their defensive identity yet. Um, you know, I think, you know, Galloway is going to be back in goal and he's been playing great. Um, I like the face-off matchup there. I think that'll be like a good, a good battle. I, I feel like Farrell's got the edge uh, a little bit. And I, I think the Chrome are good at, at slowing the game down and, but be still being able to push transition at the same time. Um and I, and I like them defensively. I think that they've got, they've got uh, enough defense. Uh, so I, I think the Chrome are going to take this one out. And I'm going water dogs in this one. You know, we talk about how the water dogs are so up and down one game. They're, they're on one game. They're off. I picked them to be off game one of the weekend. So uh, I'm, I'm taking them to, to be on this one, you know, and we haven't seen that marquee Dylan Ward game yet. And I'm just waiting for it. He is I, I'm still going to say ride, ride, ride that wagon and say he's one of the best goalies in the world. And I think 
this is the game to show it to make sure that they don't go too far in the hole. I'm taking dogs. All right, I'm going to go uh, more with Ty, and I'm going to go Chrome. I think this is going to be another close game. Um, I mentioned that rest hasn't really been a huge factor in how teams have done, but I still like uh, you know healthy, rested Chrome team against this Water Dogs team. I think Chrome are a little bit disappointed in their showing against the Water Dogs in weeks prior, and I think they're going to come out. And that game was pretty close still to the end until the Water Dogs started to pull away. So I like the Chrome in this one. And then our final matchup of the weekend – we have the Cannons taking on the Archers. Obviously, the Archers are trying to get back on track. Cannons are desperate for a win at this point. Who do you like in this one, Ty? After seeing them play, and I, I would have liked to have gone Saturday just to, to see that Cannons game um, uh, with the chaos. But I think just after watching them play, um, and neither team is fantastic at faceoffs, but I think Stephen Kelly's got um, – We'll, we'll probably have probably have the advantage here. Um, I'm, I'm taking the archers. I think they're uh, I really do think that they're a force to, to be reckoned with. And uh, I, th- I think defensively they'll that they can match up with the uh, with those guys for the cannons. Yeah, it's tough, right? Because we keep saying how we really don't think that the, the cannons record is a reflection of, of their squad. And but I, at the same time, I just don't see this archer squad as potent as they are going to 500, right? Uh, I don't think they're losing three straight uh, with, with guys. Like you mentioned, Tom Schreiber doesn't lose three in a row. So uh, I'm going to win the archers in this one. Yeah, this one, is, this one's tough for me. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think what you mentioned Ty, too, like the face-off, there's not really a clear advantage there um, on the defensive side. I think, you know, that the grand Hossack versus Lyle Thompson matchup is going to be something to watch. I think cans are going to give them a game and I know this isn't the bet on lacrosse podcast. I'd probably pick the cannons to cover assuming that the archers will open up as favorites, but I'm going to go archers as well. Um, really was thinking about picking cans here. Cause I, I do think it's going to be a good game and it wouldn't surprise me if they upset them because I, I these teams have shown they can put up points um, in bunches, but again, this archers defense is going to look for a bounce back game. Um, and this archers offense is just too lethal. I haven't seen enough, I guess, out of the cans defense to lead me to believe that they can shut down all yeah. these weapons. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for me. I think the cannons are going to be able to put up points against this defense. I, I think you might see another high scoring affair in the esque of, you know, in kind of in the vein of the whip snakes archers game uh, compared to maybe a Chrome archers game, but um, I'm going to go archers in this one as well. That wraps up our game picks. Those are our picks. You can guys check us out and see if we're right or wrong in this upcoming week. Um, but we're definitely looking forward to this slate prior to the all-star break. We want to remind people to submit their all-star ballots too prior to this weekend. Uh, deadline is approaching. Um, so definitely, you know, make sure you fill out your all-star ballot. If you want to contribute to who is named an all-star in the PLL this year, uh, we'll be talking about our own all-star ballots in the next episode following this weekend. But that wraps up our episode. We appreciate Ty coming on. I appreciate my host, Adam, as always. And we appreciate you as listeners tuning in to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk.